Dark Travels, a podcast. So this podcast is about how we got into dark tourism ourselves. And maybe we should start with, you know, basic idea of what dark tourism is for people that aren't aware. Yes, that would be a good idea, especially because I see a lot of misinformation about it online. And also, we both kind of, in addition to doing dark tourism, also do sort of just general spooky and macabre tourism, which kind of isn't dark tourism, but has sort of become dark tourism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I separate them because, I mean, technically, like, ghost stuff and spooky stuff is dark tourism, just like you said, but it doesn't feel like it should be. But, I mean, I guess it's, like, a sort of, like, a branch. Like, if it dark tourism is a tree, I guess it's, like, a tiny little branch. Yeah. On the tree of dark tourism. Exactly. I guess we should say what the actual definition is. So, dark tourism is, or, like, classic dark tourism, I guess, is the interest in tourism sites of tragedy, typically mass tragedy. So like any Holocaust sites or Chernobyl, the killing fields, those are kind of the big three that everyone knows of and that most people go to even if they're not dark tourists because they're like the historical site to see in a lot of those countries. But just because you go to dark tourism sites doesn't mean you're a dark tourist. Dark tourism tends to relate specifically to people who are interested in going to those sites, not exclusively, but make a point to go to those sites wherever they go because they are interested in the culture, not necessarily because they find it fun, but because they are interested in learning about the history and they find going to those sites to take priority over going to, say, typical sites like going to Big Ben or Times Square or the Space Needle, like just really big sites like that that aren't necessarily dark. So again, dark tourism sites can be popular sites, but going to them doesn't necessarily make you a dark tourist. Yes. But yeah, dark tourism itself is the specific interest in going to tourism sites or sites that have now become sites that a tourist can visit uh, with the interest in learning about the history and the tragedy itself. Yes. And I just want to make it clear, at least for me and Dagny, we visit these sites and we're drawn to them because they have a historical and educational value. I know some people have issues with it because they think that it's uh, exploitation of death and tragedy and suffering. But 100%, that is not the reason I go. I go because I want to be educated, learn the history, and remember these people whose lives have been lost. Exactly. And same with myself and now sort of Jeremy, who just gets brought along and has become a sort of dark tourist. But definitely, we still feel like certain sites are not yet ready to be sites, as it were. Like, for example, we just recently wrote a massive, massive post on dark sites in London. So not necessarily all dark tourism, because dark tourism also kind of has a technical time limit, which we'll get to in a minute, but sites that have a dark history related to them and a site that we left off, which a lot of people find quite controversial and which we didn't go to, is the Grenfell Towers, because we don't really feel like that's a tourism site as yet. Like, if people do want to go, there are, I believe, I haven't been, but I believe there are memorial things where you can go and, like, pay your respects, but we didn't put that because we don't feel like it's a place that people should be going as tourists. Like, if you knew someone there, that 
that's different if you want to go and pay your respects. But at the moment, that one just feels too soon to be a site, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And I think it also is a personal thing because for me, I went to New York City. I can't remember the year, but it was like maybe 10 years after 9-11 happened. And I still mm. felt like it was too soon to visit 9-11. So I didn't just because I just felt like it was too soon. So I think it's also a personal thing if the tragedy happened, one, within your life or too soon, in my opinion, for uh, 9-11. Or if you were personally affected by it, you may never want to visit. You may never want people to visit it ever. I mean, I guess it just depends on the tragedy. For me, I prefer visiting places that don't personally affect me, if that makes sense. Even though I didn't know anyone in 9-11, I remember the day it happened. And yeah, it was just, just, just still too soon for me. But perhaps next time I visit New York might be the time. Yeah, I've actually been back to New York a couple times since then. And I've never been to the 9-11 memorial site. And I think eventually I will go, assuming I ever go back to America, which at this point is not looking high on my list. But if we ever go back, there's probably a good chance that we would go eventually. But it's now been almost 20 years, which I think is getting a little closer to having so much time removed. But as you say, it is it is personal. People have to make that decision. And if you do go, you have to be respectful, especially if it's something that is still affecting people who are alive today. I mean, that's not to say that you should be disrespectful at any dark tourism site, but there is a really big difference between the Colosseum in Rome and the Holocaust sites like Auschwitz and the killing fields in Cambodia and Chernobyl in the Ukraine and also the 9-11 memorial in New York because all of those sites are still affecting people alive today. I know a lot of people from World War II aren't necessarily around anymore, but their direct descendants are, like their children and their grandchildren. So it is still affecting them much more directly than things from ancient times and even from like a hundred years ago because it's just not as present in our collective memories. Mm -hmm. So it is a personal thing. No matter where you go, you should be respectful. If you feel like after a couple of years it's okay to visit, then that's up to you. But you definitely shouldn't be going and, in our opinion, you shouldn't be going and taking selfies and jumping on things and, you know, treating it like a tourism site in the same way that you would treat Disneyland. Yeah, like Disneyland. It's not really for your enjoyment. It's for learning and for paying respects. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so we never forget that these tragedies did occur. I think that's really important as well. Exactly. And to me, that's the main reason that we go to dark tourism sites is to learn about it and to never forget. I mean, I always say that in an ideal world, dark tourism sites wouldn't exist anymore and we wouldn't need to visit those sites because they wouldn't be around. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd have the ones that already exist. But in an ideal world, for most of the people that I've ever met that would consider themselves dark tourists, they would say that realistically, they wouldn't actually like there to be any dark tourism sites. And they're more drawn to this idea idea that it's still happening and why is it happening and you know what is it about humanity that makes us do such horrible things but in the perfect world we wouldn't have any dark tourism sites to visit yeah i agree 100 percent Oh, I said uh, there's sort of a time limit on it, which I kind of already discussed. But typically when academics talk about dark tourism, they sort of put an end date on it. There's not really a definitive one and it's constantly changing because, of course, we're constantly moving forward in time. But sites like the Colosseum, while they are technically dark tourism sites, horrific things happened there. 
they are not theoretically dark tourism. I often still kind of put them in that umbrella. I kind of just classify them all in that. But they are ancient sites before they're dark tourism sites because, again, they don't actually affect anyone currently living. And theoretically, a dark tourism site is something that can affect people that are still alive today. It's something that's part of our collective memories, even if it's removed by a couple generations, but something so far back isn't. So for example, the slave plantations in the south of the United States, they would still be dark tourism sites because people still living today are directly affected by that, even if it's removed a couple generations, but things going back a couple hundred years a little less so, and certainly things from the antiquities, not at all. Yeah, when I was in Italy and I visited the Colosseum, I didn't even think about dark tourism at all. It was just because it was a historic site, I wanted to see it. And yeah, I didn't even like connect the two, even though I was really interested in learning the history and reading the history when, while I was there. Didn't even think about dark tourism, but same. I think because it is such an old historic site. Same. I've never really considered it dark tourism, and I see it pop up quite often on lists of dark tourism sites. And I'm like, it's not really a dark tourism site, but I see what you're getting at. But to me, it's a historical site first and foremost. And I don't think a lot of academics would consider it to be a dark tourism site. But I see why people kind of classify it in that category, because the main thing that we know about it when we learn about the history is, of course, the dark side of it. Yes. But yeah, if you go back, like again, that post I wrote about London, I didn't really, I said they were sites that would interest dark tourists, but it's not really dark tourism sites because most of them are from quite long ago. Some of them aren't. Some of them are from World War II and more recent, but a lot of them are from, you know, 1600s. 1500s. So they're not really a dark tourism site as it's defined in academia. <laughs> so thinking of like how you took uh, or you studied dark tourism in university, for me, I didn't study dark tourism in university and I didn't actually realize that I was a dark tourist until a couple of years ago, actually, when I heard the term. But I started getting interested, I guess, in more of the darker historical side in high school when we started learning about the Holocaust uh, and World War II. And I just get this like thing where I just need to learn everything about it. And the Holocaust in particular was just devastating for me. And I remember I was just so devastated about the fact that I couldn't do anything, even though I wasn't even born born until, you know, decades later. But yeah, I think for me, the one thing that really got me interested in dark tourism, and then there's something else in the future, which I'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, for me, the first thing that really got me interested in dark tourism was learning about the Holocaust in high school. I wanted to visit Germany and I wanted to visit sites associated with the Holocaust and with World War II. Poland is where Auschwitz is. Um, I have never, unfortunately, been to any of these sites, but hopefully in the future. But yeah, World War II and the Holocaust was my specific thing that got me into dark tourism. What about you? I know yours was a bit earlier than high school for like for me, but yeah, I was a very precocious, macabre child. I've always sort of been obsessed with dark things. Mine was also the Holocaust. It was because <laughs> Holocaust is not funny. The story is kind of funny. I was watching a episode of Touched by an Angel with my mother when I was seven years old. And it's funny because Touched by an Angel is not a show I would ever watch now, but I loved it when I was a kid. And 
which is really funny if you know me now. And there was an episode of, I mean, I, I can't even really remember the episode, but I remember that one of the people who I think the angel was trying to help, I don't even remember what the show was about now, but I know I wouldn't like it now. Anyway, there was angels, they used to help people, and one of the people that I believe she was trying to help was a Holocaust survivor. He had survived Auschwitz and he had the, the numbers tattooed on his arm. And I didn't know at all what that was because I was seven and most seven-year-olds have no idea what the Holocaust is, at least not today. And so naturally afterwards I asked my mother what those numbers meant and why, you know, basically what the entire sort of premise of the show of that episode was because I clearly didn't fully understand the magnitude of what was happening and why this person needed someone or, or any of the context needed for that episode. And so my mother explained what the Holocaust was and me being the very curious child that I was kept asking more and more questions and my mother being a librarian answered as many questions as she could but realized that I definitely wasn't done with this topic so she picked up some books from work from the library brought them home let me read through them my mother was always really good in that she never tried to shelter me from information if I had a question she just answered it to the best of her ability and then got a book if I wouldn't stop asking questions and you know never tried to tell me that like everything was great in the world. She very much encouraged me to research everything, find out about horrible atrocities and all that. Never told me I couldn't look things up. And so she brought these books home and I started reading more about it and I just became obsessed with it. I mean, it was probably helped by the fact that my mother also is quite interested in World War II and the Holocaust. And so she was definitely happy to encourage that interest. And yeah, I became obsessed. And my school, when I was younger, had this program for advanced children where we did a, a thing throughout the year. In addition to our regular studies, we had a class where we went and we picked a topic for the year and we worked towards putting together a presentation for it for the end of the year and we did various things throughout the year to contribute to it to sort of show that we were working on it and also to go towards part of our presentation. So a lot of stuff went into it but basically for that year for my second grade year so when I was seven eight I chose to do the holocaust. Very standard thing for a seven-year-old to choose <laughs> obviously <laughs> and <It's> very normal. <laughs> You know, my teachers were like, really, Dagny? Couldn't you have picked cars? Just Poland in general? You had to pick the Holocaust? I did Penguin. <laughs> yeah, you know, of course. What seven-year-old doesn't want to read about just all of these horrible atrocities? So I picked the Holocaust, and that is what I dedicated my entire year to studying. I read everything I could about it. In most of my other classes, you know, in English, if we had to read a book, I read books that related to the Holocaust and wrote my reports on them. Any way that I could relate it to that. I watched all the films I could find. Uh, Schindler's List was my favorite film when I was seven years old. Wow. Because, <laughs> again, normal child. So I watched all the films I could find. I read all the books I could read. And I mean, I learned tons about it. I did my report at the end of the year. And I remember, you know, so at the end of the year, you put the presentation was in like our gym and teachers, other parents, anyone really could kind of come in and see these presentations and walk around and we got little slips of paper that were next to our presentations where people could write down you know just sort of say like what they got out of our presentation which was just supposed to be a way to you know encourage us to feel good about ourselves and also like feedback for 
seven-year-olds. And I remember you get like a, you get a pretty good stack and my stack just kept running lower and lower. And it was just, you know, reading back all of that feedback was everyone just saying like, wow, like, I can't believe that you've done this presentation, but not in a like bad way, just all this really positive feedback about how emotional it was. Some people saying like, I didn't really know that much about it. And I'm glad that you've shared this presentation. So that was encouraging. Because as well, let's admit that the education system in most places is broken. A lot of people are not necessarily learning about the Holocaust at all or as much as they should anymore. Or just about genocide and atrocities in general. I do sometimes get annoyed that it is focused specifically on the Holocaust when there's so many other genocides and tragedies that have happened throughout history and recent history that get overlooked. Not that the Holocaust wasn't horrific, it was, but it is kind of important to understand the context in that these things are still happening and you know, why they continue to happen, because we like to say never forget, but sometimes it seems like we then overlook other atrocities. So anyway, because I had done all this research, I actually got asked to go into other classes and give presentations on the Holocaust, even to like much older kids. And, you know, so that just precipitated it. And I just continued then every year, every chance I got, I'd do a presentation. Like another year, we had to study, a do a, um, a presentation for a class on a famous person throughout history and I chose Anne Frank. So yeah, it became a bit of an obsession. And my mother's a little bit of a dark tourist. She was always really willing to go to those kinds of sites because they interest her as well. So whenever we'd go somewhere that had anything sort of dark tourism-y, that was definitely high on both of our lists to visit. But I've also... This is dark tourism, but it's less dark tourism. But I've also always been interested in things like serial killers, which I know isn't everyone's thing. I know you're not a big fan of true crime. Yeah, I, I do not like true crime. And that's also been a thing that I've always been fascinated with. And I think the very first sort of big dark tourism-esque thing I can remember doing as a kid was for my 12th birthday, my mother took me to London because I was obsessed with Jack the Ripper and Stonehenge. And I'm still obsessed with Jack the Ripper, less so with Stonehenge. So we went to London for my 12th birthday and we went on a Jack the Ripper tour and it was like the highlight of my life. I've since been on another Jack the Ripper tour and they've changed them so much because you used to not be able to actually go into the neighborhoods where it had actually happened because it was still considered a bad neighborhood, which, you know, is up for debate. But anyway, so we went on one of those tours and I was thrilled. And it's funny because we went on a tour recently, Jeremy and I, in London, another Jack the Ripper tour, and they were talking about the website Casebook it's all about like the Ripper case and I turned to Jeremy and I was like that's the first website I ever bookmarked on my computer Jeremy was like of course it was of course that would be the first thing you've ever bookmarked you weirdo so yeah that's me so for true crime like stuff that's old like Jack the Ripper I'm I'm okay with like looking into learning about mm -hmm. going on tours but anything that's recent and affects people I think it's just that line that it crosses for me like with the 9-11 not visiting the memorial site kind of thing yeah if it's old enough I'm fine like well I'm not fine with it but when it's old enough I'm okay with learning more but when it's new and it affects people like there's one that Chris Watts case it's too new. It's too, too many people are affected by it. So I just, I stay away. And I do understand that people want to learn about it, but I just, it's just too, too painful for people to constantly be talking about it. And just, it almost invades people's privacy is just how I see it. So just a personal thing for me. Yeah, and I think it depends on the case. Like some cases are unavoidable, like Jeffrey Dahmer and all of those ones. And I think I find true crime quite fascinating. 
I don't tend to know about all the nitty gritty ones, although I do listen to a lot of crime podcasts. In some ways, I think learning about them can be helpful because some of them have never been solved and I think people want them to be solved. And the more you talk about it, the more pressure it puts on the police. But the thing that I would never do that I find quite weird is, you know, in um, the Dark Tourist show, they go on that ghost tour for, is it Jeffrey Dahmer? Mm, the serial killer tour and people are obsessed with him yeah that i find creepy i also find it too i find that quite exploitative and the fact that it's a bunch of people that are like weirdly obsessed with him and wanting to like speak to his spirit and like by weirdly obsessed i mean like in love with him not fascinated by the true crime element of it and that i find weird like i think jack the ripper tours are different because they are so old yes and none of those people are left alive and a lot of those people didn't have any descendants so you know you're not talking about people who are affected by it yeah also it's over 100 years old but yeah things like that i would never go on a tour that talks about serial killers that are much more recent i find it interesting to read the news articles and occasionally listen to the podcasts and learn about it but yeah i i would never go on a tour or like i've seen people go visit like the houses yeah of famous serial killers i find that really odd and also really disruptive for the people that do currently live in them if people do live in them yes or even visiting like the houses of the people that lost their lives uh it's so mm. bad like leave the families alone it's just it interrupts their healing process yeah exactly it's, it's it's another thing that's sort of like a fine line between learning about it like reading about it news articles and then like trying to find out everything you can about their family and yeah i didn't see it but i remember reading like the synopsis of a film that came out which was something about like two friends or siblings or something where they go on a road trip across america to visit all the manson sites which included like the homes of the victims. And I just find that quite unnerving and unnecessary. Like I do think there's a big difference between reading about it and learning about it, which has always been my interest when it comes to true crime is more just the learning about it aspect or, you know, reading true crime books or even like murder mysteries. But I, you know, which are not true crime because they're not true because uh, <laughs> they're fiction. But yeah, I that's kind of like definitely a side of dark tourism that I'm not interested in is actually visiting the sites to do with serial killers. Again, Jack the Ripper is a little different and maybe in like 80 years time we'll feel differently about the more prolific ones from like when we were kids, you know, so 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, yeah. but not anything that's happening now. So yeah, I should say that while I do find serial killers fascinating and always have and just general like true crime and overall, it's definitely not an aspect that sort of funnels into my dark tourism because it's not, those are not sites high ever or at all on my list when I go somewhere. I'm not like, oh, who was murdered in this site? Unless it was, you know, like an old king. And that's another thing. Some things fall under the realm of dark tourism, but mm. not all dark tourists are into everything. Like if you have watched that dark tourist show, he went to that house where that guy sort of like tortured him in a way I didn't even think that is considered dark tourism but that's fine yeah that just felt like I'm not into that yeah that did not seem like dark tourism at all to me that just seemed like a torture house which is not dark tourism because no one has died there at least yeah that we know of so I didn't think that was dark tourism that just felt kind of like a dark thing to do right yes 
but also yes not into that at all (laughs) there were other things that he did like he went to the in japan he went to the radiation zone which i don't know it seemed too soon i think i have issues with things being too soon like chernobyl for example happened in 1986 which should feel like it's too soon for me to visit but i would visit chernobyl except for the radiation would keep me away but just like that it was i think it was 2011 they had the radiation i can't remember exactly the year in japan and then he visited hermit kingdom which i cannot remember the name of the place but I loved that episode. That is the kind of dark tourism I'm into as well. The one in Turkmenistan was the that's the capital. That's when he went and it was like the weird sort of dictatorship. Yes. The game. Yes. That's the one. Yeah. Like I was yeah. all in on that. So, you know, I guess it just depends what falls under dark tourism and what you're into might not be what all dark tourists are into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I also loved that episode. That was great. But then again, things that happen in that episode, like he goes to the, in Turkmenistan, there's the thing, the, the big volcano called the Gates of Hell. And he didn't actually end up going there because he can't get the permit to go. But his friend that went with him goes. And he was sort of classifying that under dark tourism. I guess because it's called the gates of hell but it's not anything dark it's just a gas crater yeah yeah like so that I find like people sometimes just put things because of their names yeah as dark tourism I mean maybe something horrific happened there that I'm unaware of but as far as I know that's just a massive gas crater so I would never classify that as dark tourism despite the name so while you were talking about the episode of touched by an angel that you got into or that Mm-hmm. interest you in the holocaust i looked it up and it is season two the episode is called dear god from 1996 and it is about a girl named monica do you remember the character monica she helped no. a jewish i was seven i don't remember what happened last week let alone when i was seven he helps a jewish holocaust survivor that works in the post office and answers letters to god so if you want to look it up yes i remember that yeah i do remember that <laughs> um you're also talking about how you kind of became obsessed with the holocaust i am similar mm-hmm. with my obsession with things so the holocaust i you know went above and beyond what we learned in school and learned as much as I could but then other things like throughout life I became completely obsessed with until I could learn no more these aren't necessarily dark tourism but the last one will be but like have you heard of the Kowloon walled city in Hong Kong from the 90s vaguely yes okay so because it was like a mystery I just became obsessed with it until I could learn everything I could learn about it Another place that I became obsessed with is the North Sentinel Island. Have you heard of that place? Yes. I learned as much as I possibly could. It's a, it's a little island where there's a tribe that we do not contact and the Indian government protects them because if somebody gets too close, they will kill that person. They will, you won't survive. Plus, if we... Yeah, it's actually was in the news recently because of that because some missionary felt the need to go over there and convert them to Christianity and they killed him and his body is still there and while you know I feel a little bad for his family I also don't think that people should in this day and age or ever but I feel like we should have learned by now we shouldn't be going abroad and trying to convert people and you especially shouldn't be going to an island where people aren't allowed there for a reason it's not just I mean it's partially because they'll kill anyone that enters but it's also because anyone going over there can severely jeopardize their entire immune system and wipe them out much like 
people were wiped out by smallpox. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, feel bad for his family, but he was warned. And it was like the second time he went as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't hear about this at all. Um, Yeah, he like got kicked off. I think he got off it and then tried to go back on again. And that's when they killed him. Yeah, that's a shame. But yeah, it's protected by the Indian government for a reason. Like you said, I think specifically, well, one, because it's dangerous because they will kill anyone. But two, it's just leave them alone. What harm are they doing to themselves being on the island? If we go over there with our diseases, it'll surely wipe them out. And then you won't have anyone to convert. Yeah. But yeah, I became obsessed with the North Senatal Island as well until I could learn no more. That followed into North Korea or DPRK because they have camps like labor camps there. And if you've heard about like the people defecting, they'll tell you their story about their lives in North Korea. It's like a hermit kingdom, which is like a place that the dark tourists went. And just the fact that the people in North Korea are living in such like horrific conditions with regards to labor camps and it just was something that I learned about and it was like something that I felt like a connection with like I could possibly help unlike with the holocaust happened way before my time unfortunately though I think that with North Korea they have to do it within the country you can't just go in and change it they have to do it themselves but yeah that was another big country for me with the dark tourism being interested in dark tourism yeah I think the other one that I got really interested in which is actually what I wrote my dissertation on um and I moved there for a little while, was Cambodia and the killing fields. Mm-hmm. I don't even really know how I initially learned about the killing fields. I can't remember, but I got quite sucked into that vortex and went down that rabbit hole and read all of those books and everything to do with it. And then as I say, that's I wound up moving there for a couple months to do um, research for my, my dissertation, which was on how dark tourism sites in Cambodia affect cultural heritage and memory. So I, I visited sites all over the country. So not just the killing fields and tool slang, which are the two that everyone hits in Phnom Penh. But I went to sites all over the country and met with survivors and children of survivors and did tons of interviews and and put that all together for my dissertation. But that was sort of the other big one that I got really pulled into. That one's a bit more recent, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the other site that I got interested in, which is more similar to the Holocaust. It's not really a different kind of dark tourism. It's another genocide and forced labor camps and execution camps. Clearly, that's sort of my specific kind of dark tourism. But I do, in general, find most macabre things fascinating, even if they are not places where I would visit sites associated with them. So the Killing Fields, the huge genocide there, Rwanda genocide. And during when Stalin was controlling Russia, they had the genocide uh, hollow... Holodomor? Yeah, Holodomor. So all three of these things, they were historic while I was in school anyway. I mean, obviously the Rwanda, that was in 1994. Uh, So I was in school. Yeah, that was within our lifetimes. In 1979 was the Cambodian killing fields. And I didn't learn any of these things in school. I just learned about the Holocaust, like when you were saying earlier about how so many other things happened. And like the one with Russia, with the Ukraine and Stalin, that one happened in 1932, 1933. So why didn't we learn about that? Why did we only learn about the Holocaust? I know it's connected with World War II, but still, you'd think that more of these 
atrocities would be taught in school, or at least more people would be aware of them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they are, of course, normally, unless you live in a country that is still trying to cover it up, they are taught in the places where they happened. You know, so in Cambodia now, for a long time, it was not part of their curriculum, but it has now, within the last two decades, it has been mandated that it must be taught in schools, but it wasn't necessarily before that. And there were a lot of people that weren't taught it, also because it's still quite recent and members of the government who are in the government now were part of the Khmer Rouge. And so there's a whole sort of cover up side to that. And I suspect it was probably similar in the USSR in respect to Holodomor for a long time, just like it was in the Ukraine in respect to Chernobyl. So in a lot of those places, it has been covered up to an extent sometimes. And in other cases, like in Poland, they've always wanted to discuss it. And it's since the Holocaust happened, they've wanted it to be a part of the social narrative and they want people to talk about it and to know about it. And so I don't know if the fact that it's sometimes been covered up in certain governments contributes to it because we don't necessarily have a lot of information about it in some instances. I mean, we do in the modern age with all the, you know, digital social media and all of that, we do have so much information on all those things now. And there's always been people that talked about it. But I don't know if to an extent we didn't talk about things sometimes because it has been covered up and we just didn't get that. Yeah, that's true. I did not think about that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's contributed to it. Yeah. This is why things need to be remembered. Yeah. People need to learn about these things that happened or visit these sites for educational purposes and general interest. And yeah, this so another thing that I just want to mention is that if you are unsure about what dark tourism is, or you haven't heard of a specific atrocity, definitely reach out and talk to somebody about it. Don't feel stupid about asking questions or the fact that you didn't know about like a certain genocide because you weren't taught about it. You know, reach out. Don't feel like you don't know what dark tourism is, or you're just unsure. Just reach out to anybody that you feel could teach you more, or if you have any questions, because even with me, with knowing like a lot of the things how I gravitate towards more of the darker travel sites and dark tourism. I still don't know a lot about specific sites or things that have happened. So, oh yeah, we both learned about places from each other. Yeah, it's always about like educating yourself and and learning more. And I think that's one of the big aspects. And I think people are are scared of going in with uh, and they don't know anything or they feel like ignorant. And yeah, definitely don't feel that way. It's all about learning and remembering what happened and yeah. yeah, if you don't know, it's because you were never taught it. And that's not your fault. But it is important to learn the site. So if you do have any questions, I mean, we're, of course, more than happy to answer questions and teach people more about things. But it is just about learning. And sometimes it's also about finding that bit that interests you. For us, it was both the Holocaust. For a lot of people, it's the Holocaust. But sometimes it's not. One of my friends got into dark tourism because of the Rwandan genocide. And that's what she wound up studying at school. It's just about learning. It's not even necessarily about being a dark tourist it's just about learning and education and yeah don't ever feel stupid because you don't know just pick up a book yeah and yeah as I say Crystal and I we don't know everything we constantly learn about new sites from each other because we go to totally different places because we live in totally different places Crystal writes about things that I've never heard about and vice versa and yeah it's a huge world with a lot of really sad history so you're never going to know all of it and it's kind of the point kind of the fun side of it I guess <laughs> if there is a fun side it's discovering new sites to visit, I guess. Yeah. Even though, like we said in the beginning, most dark tourists don't actually want there to be any sites in a perfect world. Yeah. In a perfect world, you don't want new sites. But the fun side of it is finding the new sites. I don't know. It's a fun paradox. Yeah. 
Do we want to talk about being respectful at dark tourism sites? Yeah. Being respectful and not taking selfies like at Chernobyl. Or stepping on the tracks at Auschwitz or taking selfies there. Well, and I think there's also different degrees of being disrespectful. So another dark tourist person that I know, which is know of via the internet, his name's Darman Richter, and he runs the blog, The Bohemian Blog. Oh, yes. Yeah, he put out a thing after the Chernobyl uproar about the selfies, saying that the problem isn't selfies, that in fact, a lot of people still live in Chernobyl, because it's very different from things like Auschwitz. People still live there, and people don't want to see people walking around depressed all the time, and they want to see people happy and laughing and so there's that side of it as well and I totally get what he's saying and so I think there's also something to be said for knowing what you're going into and asking people that you're going on tours with but also how you present it so I think there is a huge difference between going to a site like Chernobyl and taking a selfie just of yourself happy and smiling especially some of the selfies that popped up after you know when all this was happening after the um, HBO show Chernobyl kind of exploded no pun intended and people going and a lot of people were taking these like really sexy selfies where they were like exposing lots of skin which one is dangerous to you but also Chernobyl isn't sexy and there's a big difference between taking those kinds of selfies and taking a selfie of you and your tour guide and then writing a really detailed explanation about why it's okay to take selfies like it's okay to smile and be happy with your tour guide and you're you know the people that live there want to see that side of it or meeting up with a local who lives just outside of the exclusion zone or even within the exclusion zone but outside of like the nuclear reactor area itself and you know having selfies with them and telling their story and there's a difference and I'm not saying everyone can do that or has the opportunity to do that but there's a difference between doing that and that side of the happy smiley selfie and saying you had a great tour guide and you know really changed your perspective and just taking these sexy selfies at Chernobyl and and you know just saying oh it was such a tragedy like in what way is your picture demonstrating that was a tragedy there's sort of that disconnect there. So it does depend on the site. And I think with Chernobyl, there's that sort of nuance. But at sites like Auschwitz, where they have specifically asked people not to take selfies or to walk on the tracks, it's just disrespectful to do it. It doesn't really matter if you think it's respectful. If they've asked you not to do it, don't do it. Yes, I agree. I've heard a lot of arguments where people say that newer generations, that's just how they process information and being in smiley selfies, it's their way of sort of sharing it. But to me, and to a lot of people, again, including people that are running these sites, there's no reason for you to be in the photo. They're not saying don't take photos, they're just saying you don't need to be in the photo. By all means, take photographs, share the story, keep it going. People don't want people to forget, and people are drawn in by photos. There is a reason that we flip through things and stop at a photograph. So a photograph showing just sort of the stark, depressing nature of Birkenau, which really is a place that you can like feel the evil and you can see it sometimes in photographs if it's a good photograph. You don't get that same feeling of just how horrific everything that was that happened there is if the person standing in the middle of the photograph is A, standing there and B, smiling. Yeah, there's a there's a time and a place just like you said this really depends on the site and the rules of the site as well yes and the way you present it as well you know if you're sharing it on instagram in the caption you put up as i say if you're going to put smiling photos up and you explain why that's okay to other tourists that's totally different from just putting up a smiley photo and leaving it and again don't ever expose your skin at chernobyl doesn't matter if it's a sexy selfie don't do it
Agreed. Cool. And I think that we should end it with that. You know, dark tourism is something that if you're interested in it, um, please look into everything you can, ask questions. And when you're at these sites, be respectful.